As you may know, I've just returned from vacation. And while I was on vacation, I started a new series of novels, four novels uh, in total, uh, about uh, an ancient fantasy land, uh, a, a fictional world, a world of, of kings and queens and, and royalty, uh, a land of, of rival kingdoms where there's battles between knights, a land of magic and magical creatures. So far, just, just halfway into this four-part series, there have been power plays, there have been love interests, violence, betrayals, surprise twists and turns, the, the rise and the fall of, of characters, sometimes quite unexpectedly, and kingdoms. Now, I, I don't know where this story is going. I've fallen in love with some characters and, and even despised others. I've been surprised at where the story has gone at times, but, but obviously the story is going somewhere. Sometimes from, from chapter to chapter, I, I don't understand how they relate, but, but I trust, because this is how stories work, that that all of it will lead somewhere, that these different subplots and themes will at some point join together. At some point, they're all going to make sense. At just halfway, two novels and 1,300 pages so far, I have a sense of where the story might be going, but I won't know until I get to the final chapter. And even then, there may be some loose strings or questions that I would still like to have answered. That's how stories go. Well, as you know, in this series, this is my story. We're talking about the Bible as one single story. Similarly, it's many books. I'm reading a series of novels, just four books. Well, the Bible is actually 66 books divided into two testaments, you might approach that thinking, well, that's just a collection of sayings and stories and rules and regulations. But we're approaching this saying, this is a story, and it's all heading somewhere. Already, just a few weeks into this story, we have some, some hints about what might be happening. We've been introduced to the main character of the story, God, the almighty creator of the universe. We've been introduced to some of the supporting cast, the first two of God's creation, Adam and Eve, made in his own image and likeness. Their sons, Cain and Abel, Cain who murdered his brother Abel, Noah who built a boat, the citizens of Babel, and last week, Abram and Sarai. We've already seen the highest of highs, God creating a universe in seven days and saying it is good. In the lowest of lows, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, we've, we've seen the theme of, of how each passing generation has moved further east from the Garden, symbolically meaning further away from God and from eternity and for the life that God intended for us. And that led us last week to this couple, Abram and Sarai, an old couple 
childless and beyond childbearing years, long, long before we were introduced to them. They had given up the idea of ever having children. And yet, God calls them to become a family. To understand this story, or really any story, you really have to start picking up on the subplots, the the underlying themes. And, And I would suggest today that the Bible has four primary themes that you need to understand to to see it as a story. Those four themes are creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Let me say those again. Creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. When we talk about creation, of course, we're talking about Genesis 1 and 2, when God created everything that exists And it was good. God said, it is very good. When I refer to the fall, I'm talking about that incident with the snake and Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit and and God casting them out of the garden, making work difficult, causing tension in their relationship and in future relationships. And of course, throughout scripture and throughout history, we continue to live in in the Uh, consequences of the fall. And third is redemption. And the story of redemption, or in other words, God saving the world, begins with this couple, Abram and Sarai. As Emily shared with us last week in Genesis chapter 12, God unexpectedly visits Abram and Sarai and says, if you will leave this place to a land I will show you, you will be my people and I will be your God. And of course, they obeyed. And with it came three promises. One, blessing. God will bless them. Now, we don't know what that blessing will be, but we can make some assumptions. Protection, prosperity, health, vitality, success. Two, God promised them many descendants. Now, this is an old couple beyond childbearing years, but God says, look at the sky. Look at the stars. You will have more descendants than you can count the stars in the sky. Look at the grains of sand on the beach. You will have more descendants than you can count the number of grains of sand. And then third, God promises a land. At this point, Abram and Sarai are are, um, wanderers. They, They go with their flocks to wherever they can find Uh, grass or water. They're nomadic people, but God says, one day I will give you a land, Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. So three promises. If you will be my people, I will be your God. I will bless you. You'll have more descendants than you can count, and I will take you to a promised land. Now, as I said, this is the theme of redemption, our third major theme. Isn't it interesting that this is how God plans to save the world? Through an old, childless couple. If if you were going to save the world, is that what you would do? I can't say that that's how I would approach saving the world, but but I'm not God. (laughs) Thank goodness. This is how God works. God works through people, ordinary people, families, people like you and me. Scott McKnight writes, because God is a community of three in one, 
God's work is always relational and community-focused. The atonement, meaning God saving the world, the atonement benefits individuals, but always in the context of society. So let's just review those themes again. One, creation, what God intended our world to be. Two, fall, humans rejecting the life that God intended. And redemption, the work of God to to bring us back into relationship, to, to restore what God intended from the beginning. Now, there is a fourth one, new creation, and we'll save that one for another day. Now, if we just stopped right here with Abram and Sarai, if you didn't know the rest of the story, all you knew was that God wanted to save the world, that God had created a good creation, and that God was going to use Abram and Sarai to do it by blessing them, by giving them descendants, by promising them a a promised land flowing with milk and honey. Wouldn't you assume that the story is going to go smoothly? I mean, they have everything going for them. If God's on their side, then then this just has to go swimmingly. What, What could possibly go wrong? But if you know the Bible at all, you know that's not what happens. This family isn't perfect. Their descendants aren't perfect. They, they become a nation, Israel. Israel wasn't perfect. Many of their leaders failed them. Throughout history, even to this modern day, they've been surrounded by foreign enemies. Even with God's greatest blessings, so often the Israelites created idols and worshipped them. Violation of the Ten Commandments. They've endured droughts and famines and defeats. The story hasn't been perfect. Life hasn't been perfect, even for God's chosen people, blessed people. They face challenges. They have faced failures. They have caused failures. And fairly early in the story of Israel, we find God's chosen people as slaves in Egypt. Wait, they were supposed to be blessed living in the promised land. How on earth, if God is on their side, do they end up as slaves in Egypt? If we understand this as as one single story moving in a particular direction and the purpose of the story is God saving us from ourselves, well then, How on earth does God's chosen, blessed people end up slaves in a foreign land? How does that happen? Well, this is important. And this is why I brought up the four themes of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. We don't understand these themes as as one following the other. Oh, good, we're over with that. Now we can move on to the next. These are These are themes that run side by side in Scripture. The fall wasn't a one-time event. It led to us living in a fallen world. I mean, just look around. (laughs) Things are far from what God intended. And way, way back in history with Abram and Sarai, later known as Abraham and Sarah, God began the work 
of redemption, of saving us. But those two themes have gone side by side all through the pages of Scripture. We see fallen people living in a fallen world and God working through that fallen world and those fallen people to save us, to save all of creation, to save all of God's people. These don't one replace the other, not yet. We have to understand this is how it works. God working the plan of redemption even in a broken, fallen world. And so today, our our emphasis in the story is how we understand this this transition from God choosing Abraham and Sarah, promising them blessing, and how they ended up in Egypt as slaves. So let's do a quick review. We were introduced to Abram and Sarai last week, a childless couple. After waiting many years after God's presence, they have a child. His name is Isaac. And the blessing and promise of God is passed to Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah. And they have two sons, Jacob and Esau. And the blessing passes. The blessing that was given to Abraham and Sarah and then to Isaac now passes to Jacob. Jacob marries two women, and actually four. He, he takes two more wives, uh, concubines, as wives. So he has four wives, and with those four wives, he has 12 sons and one daughter. Now, here things start to get messy. Jacob's favorite of the wives was Rachel. And, and Rachel didn't have children for a while. In fact, her oldest son is Joseph, You've heard of Joseph wearing the coat of many colors, or, or maybe you heard on Broadway the, the technicolor dream coat. Well, Joseph is the second to the youngest, but he was Rachel's oldest, and that made him Jacob's favorite. Now, I'm an only child, so I've never experienced anything like sibling rivalry, but I've heard about it. I've heard that sometimes there can be strife within families, jealousy between siblings, and there certainly was in the household of Jacob. Joseph knew he was daddy's favorite. Joseph's older brothers knew that Joseph was daddy's favorite. As the favorite, Joseph was treated differently. He received special gifts. He received special favors. And his brothers resented it. That's an understatement. They hated him for it. And so one day when when Joseph was with his brothers away from the the tent and dad and they were out in the fields, the brothers decided they had an opportunity to get rid of this brother that they hated so much. They bound him. They sold him into slavery later telling their father that he had been killed by a wild animal. Joseph, the favored son, was taken away to Egypt to become a slave. While he was there, he was falsely accused and put in prison. Now just think of that. We began with God blessing Abraham and Sarah, and the blessing continues through each generation, but all of a sudden now, the favorite son is thought to be murdered or dead. And he's a slave living in prison under 
false accusations. Where is God's blessing now? Now, we begin to see what, what might be happening behind the scenes. Joseph has a special ability. He can interpret dreams. And so one night, Pharaoh has, the, the king of Egypt has some, some troubling dreams and, and no one can interpret the dream. You can see in those days they believed that dreams had meaning. And so someone remembers this, this Hebrew prisoner who seems to have a gift for interpreting dreams. So Pharaoh has the prisoner Joseph brought to him. He tells Joseph his dreams and Joseph says, you're Dreams are a sign of what's to come. There'll be seven years of abundance. There'll be more grain than your people can eat. But that will be followed by seven years of terrible famine where there'll be no grain grown in the land. What you need to do, Pharaoh, Joseph says, is you need to build storehouses. And in the years of plenty, you need to store the grain so that you have enough in the years a famine. Well, instantaneously, on the spot, right there, Joseph's life is changed. He goes from being a prisoner, forgotten, thought dead by his father, to becoming the second most important person in Egypt. Pharaoh elevates him to being his, his right-hand man. He gives him a new Egyptian name, Zaphonath Paneah. He even gives him the high priest's daughter to become his wife. And Pharaoh puts him in charge of the special project. During the years of plenty, gather grain, store it away. And then when we come to the years of famine, Joseph will be in charge of distributing that food to those who are in need. Think of that. Where is God? Well, clearly God is working even through the tragedies that Joseph had experienced. Well, seven years pass and the, the grain is gathered. And two years into the famine, things have gone bad quickly. There's not just a famine in the land of Egypt, but also in all the surrounding lands, including where Jacob and Joseph's brothers have been living. They've run out of food. So word is there's food in Egypt. So Jacob sends his son, go buy food. And that leads them right back to their brother. The thing is, that they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph no longer looks like the, the little brother they had sold into slavery. Now he looks like Egyptian royalty. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He speaks Egyptian. He, he's a powerful Egyptian ruler. They don't even realize they're standing before their brother as they come begging for assistance. But Joseph knows them. And at first, Joseph can't resist uh, toying with his brothers. That's more than we can get into today. But there's a, a moment where, where Joseph no longer holds a grudge against them for the evil they've done. In fact, it says in Genesis 45, 4 through 8, that he reveals himself to his brothers saying, I'm your brother Joseph the one you sold to Egypt. Now, now, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Actually, God sent me before you to save lives. 
You didn't send me here. It was God who made me father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household, the ruler of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph says something like this again at the end of the book of Genesis. After Jacob, his father, has died, he reminds his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me. When you sold me into slavery, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Remember our our themes? Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Here in the story, we see so clearly the themes of fall and redemption running concurrently. Evidence of the fall and, and brothers hating their brother of family dysfunction, of of jealousy, of lies and betrayal, all leading to to Joseph becoming a slave and Jacob thinking his favorite son is is dead. And, And yet, even as all of that evil was happening, God was at work. God was with Joseph. God was preparing for for troubling days to come. It says in Romans 8, 28, we know that God works all things together for good, for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that God works all things together for good. Now, now let's be clear. I don't believe Joseph is saying, nor do I believe Paul is saying in Romans, that God causes evil things to happen. God God is not the author of of destructive evil, evil things. God doesn't create family dysfunction. God doesn't create sibling rivalries. God doesn't create hardship or droughts or famines or hurricanes or global pandemics or economic crises or unemployment or contentious election seasons. God doesn't do that. Theologically, biblically, we would say those are all evidence that we live in a fallen world. This theme of the fall continues. But as people of faith, we also believe in things and unseen. As people of hope, we believe that God isn't done yet. That even in the midst of, of such evil that we see, of such destruction, of such hardship, that we still believe, as in the story of Joseph and so many others in Scripture, that God is still at work. That God still plans to save the world and that God is always behind the scenes, perhaps in unseen ways, working to redeem us, to save us, all leading to the end of the story and the new creation God intends for us. We live in a fallen world, but we worship a God who isn't going to leave it that way. Dare we believe that? Dare we believe that God is even working now in this very difficult season we're in? I believe we can. I believe we must. Well, we're not done with the story of of Joseph and his brothers quite yet. Uh, Pharaoh hears that, that Joseph has been reconciled to his brothers, that they've come to Egypt. And so Pharaoh himself invites 
Jacob and his family to come live in the land of Egypt, to settle in the land of Goshen, where he will receive, they'll receive special protection from Pharaoh. Upon the, the arrival of the family of Jacob in uh, Egypt to Goshen, there's 70 persons. Now, remember, we started with Abraham and Sarah, two, and then the family grew a little, and then it grew a little bit more. Now it's grown to 70. And while the people of God, Israel, the Hebrews, lived in Goshen, they multiplied. 70 doubled, it tripled, it quadrupled, it quintupled. Soon they, they grew into to hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. God's promise of, of numerous descendants was fulfilled. They were being blessed by living in Goshen. God's promise of blessing was being fulfilled. They didn't get to live in the promised land, not yet, but still this was Goshen. This is a good land. It, it seems like finally the story is on track. This, this is what we would expect to happen. Now we see that the blessing given to Abraham and Sarah has finally passed through Joseph to God's people. What could go wrong now? And then we come to Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. And there's just this short verse. It says, Now a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. There's a lot in that statement. And none of it's good. I hope you'll join us next week to find out what happens next.